36, Ezekiel chapter 36 is where we'll be in just a moment. We are finishing up our sermon series called I Promise, and we've been looking back through the Old Testament covenants leading to today, leading to the New Covenant. And if you'll allow me for just a moment, we'll take a quick look back to move forward as first beginning with the character of God. God is relational, and within those relationships, God is always faithful, as we just sung about. And the Old Testament covenants, they give us glimpses into the one true God and how he binds himself to those within whom he has a relationship with, how God is relating to his people. And it is to his people and through that relationship with them that he would bless the nations of the world, that God would draw people to himself from from everywhere, from here, there, and everywhere. And through these promises and partnerships and relationships and responsibilities within these covenants, we see what God has been and is working on. With Noah, the covenant was to save a people for himself, uh, to preserve creation. With Abraham, the covenant was about creating a people for himself through whom he would be a blessing to the nations. With Moses, the covenant with Moses was about displaying himself, identifying himself to the world through his people. Through his people, he gave a standard. He gave the law. And knowing that they couldn't uphold it themselves, he gave the system of sacrifices to provide a, a pardon for them. With David, the covenant was about relating to his people as king of kings, as God would, would sit on the throne as heavenly king above his people. Now, that's something we've talked about in recent weeks is that God is working on a kingdom. And the future of God's people was very much tied to this idea that he would rule over them. Y'all, Jesus is not just Savior. He's Lord. He rules over. That's what he's working on. He doesn't just come in to take a little bit. He's going to take over the whole thing. Are you hearing me? This is what Jesus is, is doing. It's the idea of the kingdom with God sitting on the throne, the Lord Jesus Christ. While God never needed any man to rule over Israel as king, he allowed it and saw that happening before it happened. And he allowed men to rule over Israel, some good, some bad. But eventually, they were all so wicked together that God allowed them to face the consequences of their sins and sent them out into exile. If any of you watch Survivor, you understand. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Somebody has a podcast on it. By the way, if, you, if, you fill out your, if you're filling out your visitor's cards during the message, just drop them at Dwayne Stroud's box. As you leave, he's got extra work tomorrow. Um, no, the, the exile is, is being separate. It's being away from where you are supposed to be. And so this is what God has allowed in their life. As, as sin has consequences, real sin has real consequences. Amen? And so this is what's happening. They're in exile and God is working to bring them back. But remember what we said happens in the Old Testament. We've been saying this week after week. God's people sin. God's people face consequences. God redeems. God's people sin. God's people face consequences. God redeems. Today, as we're speaking to the new covenant, what we want to answer, first of all, is this question. Why? Why does God redeem when his people just keep rejecting him? Why does he do that? In Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 20 and 21, the Bible says, But when they were scattered among the nations, they brought shame on my holy name. For the nation said, these are the people of the Lord, but he, keep, he couldn't keep them safe in his own land. 
Then I was concerned for my holy name, on which my people brought shame among the nations. God's people scattered. God couldn't keep them saved. They're bringing shame on his name. And just to be clear for a moment, God takes care of his people. Amen? And, and God took care of them. Their plight was their own. It was out of disobedience. They were where they were because of what they had done. God rescued them from the hand of Pharaoh. God delivered his people from the most powerful empire in all the world at the time. And he did it quickly. And he did it with all the power of God. Their plight was their doing. God's people were found in judgment. They were in exile. Over and over, God had established right relationship with them. And over and over, they went the wrong way. Teenagers, if we got teenagers in this place today. In your home, if you are in your home under the protection and provision of the authority that's in your home, whether that be your grandparent, parent, guardian, whoever that is. Teenagers, if you are in the presence of authority in your home and they are providing protection and provision, that's a blessing, amen? If you decide to sneak out at night, adults, don't, anybody ever, <laughs> anybody ever snuck out? If, if you decide to sneak out at night and you sneak out at night and something goes wrong, and the authorities get involved and something crazy happens, let me ask you a question. Is that on your protector and provider or is that on you? See, what's happening is, is that God was allowing the consequences. They're sneaking out every time he gives them the protection and provision, wanting to provide over them, wanting to be their everything. They continuously go away from what he's trying to do. Therefore, the consequences are their own. It's not that God is not taking care of them. It's that they are not allowing God to take care of them. I had a guy tell me one time, I love this line. He said, you play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. I love that. And that's what's happening. Another way in the scripture, it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will reap what you sow. Come on. If somebody's here today, and this week you know what's going on, but nobody else does, let me tell you what the scripture says. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will reap what you sow. The consequences will come when you operate outside of God's standard and blessing. This still leaves the question... Why does God redeem? As we move forward in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 22. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back. But not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you scattered among the nations. I will show you how holy my great name is. The name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the Sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Why does God do this over and over? Why does God redeem over and over? Why is He long-suffering? Why is He patient to make a way for people who reject Him? They really don't deserve it. Just to be quite honest, and we don't either. We don't deserve the grace of God. But here's the thing. It's honestly not out of God's love for creation. It's to show the world how holy His name is. Now, this is what we read in the Scripture. But what we first think is, Jesus loves me, this I know. That's true. That is true. 
But the object of affection that we've just read in the scripture is God's own name. This is the reason why he would redeem a people that don't deserve redemption. And, and we may think when we hear that about God, that God's working for his own name. Is that not selfish? Is that not selfish for God to work for his own name? Not when his name is the name above all names. It's not selfish when his name is eternal and it's the only way by which we must be saved. That's not selfish. That's working for you. God pulling for his name is for your good. We say this, I don't know, every Sunday. This is what God is doing and he's doing it for his name because he knows that working for his name will be for our good. Duke University has one of the best basketball programs in the history of college basketball, hands down. Beginning since the 1980s, they had Duke basketball before then, but nobody knew it until Coach Krzyzewski got there. Once he got there in the 1980s, I believe they've won five NCAA championships, and they've had 12 Final Fours since 1985. Now, Duke University has other stuff going on, you know, but probably when I say Duke University, you're thinking about basketball. You're not thinking about international scholars and, and how they're a part of that. You're not thinking about one of the wealthiest private institutions in the country. No, when we say Duke University, you're thinking about like Grant Hill and Christian Leitner. You're thinking about basketball, right? Even if you don't know basketball, don't care about it, anything about it in the world. 2017. 2017 was a lot like 2020 for this basketball program because they started out the season with three wins and four losses. Terrible start to one of the most storied basketball programs in all the country. Three wins, four losses. Coach K comes in, and this is what he does. Everybody get out. He sends his entire team out of the locker room and says, don't come back. They're exiled. Are you hearing me? They're gone. Out of the locker room. Kicks them out. And he says this, do not put on anything that says Duke on your body for the time being. Don't represent the brand because you're not representing the brand. Don't put anything on. You're out of the locker room and don't put any Duke apparel on you at all. That's for Duke players, right? He's sending a message. This is what one of the articles said. Duke will be back in action on Saturday hoping to rediscover its identity. Are you seeing the connection of the illustration? The consequences come because of the personnel, not because of the program. The program allows those consequences to come because it's not the program that honors the personnel. It's the personnel that honors the program. The name is bigger than the personnel. God allows the consequences to come because he's a just God. And so they are in exile. But also, because of his name, he redeems and brings back. To keep them kicked out would not be to represent God either. So he makes a way for all of them to come back into the locker room and put the stuff back on their body. That's what God is doing. Why is he doing it? For the glory of his own name. To show the world his character. This is what God is like. He is loving and full of grace and he's merciful, but he's just. And you don't mock the justice of God. This is all of who he is. And he's doing this, this act of redemption in the new covenant for his own name. God redeems not because we deserve it. God buys us back because he's good. The scripture says in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 7, Bring to me everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, who I formed and made. Ladies and gentlemen of this church, this world does not revolve around us. Seems like we just need to say that every once in a while, don't we? 
This world does not revolve around us. This church does not revolve around us. Jesus is the boss of this church. It doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around the glory of his name. Long-time members of Lindsay Lane, let me ask you something. If you're visiting with us today, we're so glad to have you. Pick up that Connect card, fill it out, turn it in. But if you've been a member here for a while, listen up. If you've been a member here for a while, when's the last time you greeted a guest? When's the last time you took somebody you don't know out to lunch? When's the last time you've spoken to somebody that you don't know because you assume they've been here for a long time too? When's the last time you've greeted them and asked them have they been here for five minutes or five years and got to know somebody different? When we don't do that, we act like this place exists for us. When the purpose of God is to work for His glory and for the good of other people. You see, we assume a lot of times we just go on tracking like this whole thing exists for us. And heaven exists for us. God made a place in heaven just for me. Well, yeah. Out of his character, his love is extended to us. But all these good things happen because God is good. Because his name is good. The scripture says in Acts chapter 17, 28, In him we live, move, and exist. In him. Therefore, we have to consider what name we're living for right now. Is it the name on the back of the jersey or the name on the front? To do that, though, to consider that, you must learn and we must learn together how God restored and redeemed creation. To really represent His glory, we have to know how He's made a way for us to do that. And so now we answer the question of what is He going to do? We've answered the question of why He's going to do it. Now we answer the question of what He's going to do. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. This is not far away. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, the scripture says, and it's on the screen as well. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loves a wife, says the Lord. Married people in here just got off of a marriage conference. One of the things the Lord taught me this week through this passage of Scripture, God illustrates how He loves His people by saying, as a husband loves a wife. Guys, it does not say how a wife loves a husband. Just throwing that out there. Spiritual leadership is where it is. starts where it starts. This is the standard for us. God would make this known how he loves his people as a husband loves a wife. Lord, would you guide us into all truth and help us the rest of the way, Lord, that I would share not for anybody's glory but for yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing to notice about God and what he'll do to restore his people as we are asking the question, what is he going to do in the new covenant, is that God is going to set them back on track to be a blessing to the world That's just a note on missions, amen, to be a blessing to the world as he designed all the way back in Genesis 12. And he's going to provide a solution to their problem of sin so that they can be a blessing to the world. Well, what is he going to do? Let me tell you. He's going to do something different. He's going to do something new. Now, the new covenant does not mean that God just discounts the old covenants. doesn't mean that he downplays the importance of the old covenants. The New Testament shows that Jesus is a descendant of Father Abraham. If you look forward, the new covenant fulfilled the Mosaic covenant and that Jesus was the 
perfect fulfillment of the law. He is the the living example. He is also the elements of sacrifice that God provided. Jesus is our high priest that mediates between man and God. Jesus is not a sacrifice. He's the sacrifice for our sin. So it's it's building on the covenants. The New Testament shows us that that Jesus is in the line of David. That he would be the, the messianic king. He would be the king forever. The Old Testament covenants were valuable. But God was going to build on those to do something different. Plus, the Lord says, y'all broke all the other old ones, so I'm going to have to establish a new one. My wife has been on a wheel of fortune kick lately. Truth be told, if we're not eating dinner at the table, we watch the wheel of fortune together, and, and it's safe, right? It's a good show. It's fun to play. But I'm just getting sick of it, y'all. <laughs> I'm just getting so sick of the will of fortune. Every, it seems like every time we sit <laughs> It's not the only show on TV. By the way, I have cleared this with my lovely wife. I have cleared this with her because a lot of times I share stories like this and she's like, you got a microphone, I don't get one. Right? So, <laughs> so truthfully, we, we really only do this because we've got all of us in the room together. We want to watch something on TV that we can all watch and enjoy together. I'm getting tired of it. Sometimes we live in our spiritual life like we've only got one show on one channel. Nothing, nothing, God can't do anything different than what he's already done. So we come to church. We've already made up our mind about giving. We've made up our mind about how we'll serve, how much we'll serve. We've made up our mind about discipleship, how far we'll go. We've made up our mind about whether or not God's decided that we would be a leader. Not that he, we could actually learn to be a leader. But we've already made up our mind. We say on one channel, one channel. When God is using what is his already to build us into something else. To make us different. To do something new. Well, what do you mean? God would build your salvation to your sanctification. God would, would clean you up and forgive you. And have you experience his righteousness as you live and grow in his care. He would have you build and do something different from just a decision card to a life of devotion. God would build upon what's been done in your membership. Yes, we want you to come and be a member of this church. And take the next step from attending to becoming a member. So that God would build upon your membership to your discipleship. Somebody say amen. So that you will know and own your faith. That way you would represent his glory. Because you know what it's about. God would take you from attending. And build on that to serving. And build on that to leading for his glory. And for the good of man. God wants to do something different. Let's shake it up. Let God shake it up. Let God move you from where you are. From where you need to be. And the Holy Spirit convicts you of it all the time. You've presented opportunities for things to grow and get better. we got Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings. we got all kinds of groups and all these things. I know one day, ain't no one day, do it. Amen? Let him have it. Let him build. This is where God is taking you from what was to what needs to be. What is he going to do? He's going to do something different in this covenant because he can and because it works for his name. God will produce different outcomes if you'll let him. Verses 33 and 34, the scripture says, But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will 
put my instructions deep within them. And I will write them on their hearts. Now remember the instructions he gave them before? The letters of the law in Leviticus. He gave them the Ten Commandments on stone tablets, right? Now what he says is, as he's doing something different, I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, as the Spirit of God is working. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. The next thing to notice outside of what God is doing is different is that what God is doing is something more. Something more. The nation would return from exile. They would, but not all of them. They would rebuild the temple, but it's not like it once was, and the Spirit of God didn't feel it like it did when Solomon was there. So there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more than just bringing them back and having them rebuild and then have them set it up, blow it, have it conquered again. There's got to be something more that God is working on. And that more is explained as we go to the new covenant. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Not too long ago, my, my wife and I were texting with a couple who's having a revival of sorts, just to be quite honest, in the spiritual life of their family. And the wife made this statement. She said, I'm so glad our family is seeking more. I feel and see such a difference, and it's only the beginning. What side of that text are you on? I want to be there. I'm there. We need to be there again. What we see here in Jeremiah is God doing something on the inside of the people? No, it's not a physical Ten Commandments anymore. And God is not going to add more commandments to the Ten. It's not more animals to be cleared for sacrifice. It's not a different way to perform sacrifices or to do something different within that system. It's as we just read that He is going to write the instructions in their hearts, not on tablets. Not on the walls. But in our hearts is what God is going to do. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. God's going to do surgery. That's what he's going to do. Y'all, we can keep griping and, bitter, uh, and bitterness, and we can keep talking about this country and the culture and the politics and racism and all these things we can make more laws and that'll be just fine for us to make more laws but laws don't work inside the heart of people god works on the inside that's what god does if there's any time to be a witness here there and everywhere if it's any time to send people on mission if it's any time to be discipled and know and own your faith and open your mouth for god's glory it's right now and to speak of His kindness and His grace and what He will do to speak towards what is right and what is wrong by His grace and with compassion. It's right now. We don't work on the hearts of people. The Spirit of God does that. Be filled with the Spirit and go. So this is what God is going to do with those who are His. He's going to work on them from the inside out. I've, I've seen it, y'all. I have seen it. I have seen people be slaves to sin and be freed up by the power of the Holy Spirit because God came in. That's what I've seen. 
I've seen people be racist all their life and be freed up from all of that because God came in and taught them a different way. They start watching their mouth when they talk because now God's on the inside of them. They start watching what they look, look at on the screens. Now they're under conviction that they've stopped that. Why? Because God came on the inside. This is what God does, which is why we should make much of God. He's doing more than the law, more than the sacrifices. He's going to make a way to change them from the inside out. You ever heard that term, born again? Recreating is what God is doing. Now, let's spend the rest of our time on the last question. How is he going to do it? How does he do it? Once more, as we are wrapping up this sermon series on covenants, God is bringing glory to his name by making a way for the world to know him through the people he created and purpose for himself. But at every turn, it seemed the very people he bound to himself, the very people that he was identifying himself through, would never fully experience all the blessings that God would have for them because they kept tripping up. What is the problem? The problem is the same for them as it is for us. Three word, three letter, a three letter word, huge word, sin. It's the same thing for us, y'all. Sometimes we look back on them and we're like, why can't y'all get it right? And God's like, that's exactly my point, man. Why, why can't y'all get it right? What's the problem? The problem is sin. We have an inherited nature of sin all the way back from Father Adam and Mother Eve. We've got that inherited nature too. And then the scripture says in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. The Bible says all these vile things come from within. And then it says this, these are what defile you. Defilement is a term that means you're on the outside looking in. Defilement means that you, you're not allowed to worship. Goodness, y'all, we know this. When we've picked up sin on Saturday night and then skip on up here on Sunday morning, we are defiled and it's hard to worship. Are you with me? It's hard to raise our hands for what God has done because we've known what we've done. Somebody, is it just me? I know I've been through this. I know I've been through this. I have come in with a feeling at least of defilement. That I'm not freed up to worship because I'm picking up sin. I may have not lost my relationship with God because God saves and saves completely. But I may be out of fellowship because I've defiled myself. I have sinned. These are what defile you, the Bible says. Israel had proven that they were incapable of obeying God's commands. And if you read the Old Testament, you find yourself going, Oh, not again. Not again. But this is the path that we walk as well. This is the up and down roller coaster of obedience that we walk. Their problem is our problem. We wrestle with living by feeling and doing what we want to do and doing what God wants to do. Well, here's what we should know about sin. Sin always separates. Always separates. God does for Israel, for the entire world, in fact, what mankind never could do for themselves. He does the work of salvation. We talked about why? For his good name. Talk about what he's going to do, something different, something more. How is he going to do it? Here's how he's going to do it. First of all, he's going to clean up. He's going to clean up. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. So on the screen, or you can turn there. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. 
your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. According to the law of God given to Moses, every Israelite that was defiled was on the outside of the camp and could not go back into the covenant community where the blessing of God was until they were cleaned up. It's, it's all there in Leviticus chapter 14. In fact, Leviticus chapter 14 speaks to skin diseases. If you had a skin disease, could not go back into the camp until the priest dealt with you on the outside before you got back in. Now, skin diseases, I understand, is not a result of sin. But it is a result of being in a, a creation that's cursed. And so they're on the outside. They've been defiled and God makes a way for them out of the old covenant for them to come back into the camp. What would happen is this. The priest would make an animal sacrifice. He would sprinkle the blood on that person and then that person would have to wash themselves, bathe with water in order to come back into the community. That's what has been done. The old way. But now draw an a line from the old way to the new way. Now, the sacrifice and the blood spilled would not be from an animal and multiple animals when the disease came back or other things you've done. It would be by the Son of God. God made not any more a ways. He made the way for there to be one sacrifice to purify us once and for all time. And he gave of himself and he sent his son, Jesus Christ. This is why we make a big deal of that name all the time. Now the unclean does not wash themselves in water. God purifies them through the, through the fountain of living blood. God has, has cleansed them with the living water. Y'all no longer is it ceremonial any longer. It's certain. This is not ritual anymore. It's reality. If Jesus' blood has covered your sins, you are forgiven. And if not, you still stand outside the camp. And can, can you imagine the entry into the camp? One of your family members being outside, being outside maybe for a while. They've gone through the purification ritual. They come back in from the outside in. Do you think anybody on the inside is like, I know where they've been. They're going to come in here like they own the covenants. No, you know what? I bet you everybody was like, hey, good to see you, man. We've been waiting on you for a long time. We love it when you're here. Church, are you hearing me? How dare we look at somebody like they are defiled and we've not been? How dare we look at somebody with an own disease of their own, knowing who we are, a wretched sinner, and them try to come in here for help, and we turn our nose up at them because of the way that they may look, because of a reputation they had. Maybe the reason they're in here is because they know the reputation they had, and they want God to do something about it. So when somebody comes from the outside to the inside, let's throw a party. Not a for real party, a metaphorical party. Or like, let's get excited. Cleaning up. Entering in. See, the other side of this is this is what we try to do for ourselves. Some of us, and even some of us here this morning, we feel like we've got to clean up before we can get to God. Because this is what we do with everything else. Before we eat, we wash our hands, right? I remember my parents are here today. 
I remember playing baseball in high school. And, y'all, I've got to learn more about, like, engineering and medicine and stuff because all my, all my examples tend to go to, like, family and ball. So I've got to grow, too. But, but I remember in high school we'd play ball, and you don't play ball unless you get dirty, right? So I'd be dirty, and I'd come in, and my mom and dad both would be like, don't you come in this house till you strip down in this garage. Now, we didn't have, like, close neighbors, so you could just strip down right there in the garage. But it wasn't going to happen until you came in. So you cleaned up before you came in. So that's the reason why we are almost programmed to think before we come in here or before we do things that are spiritual, we've got to get ourselves right so that God can help us. Well, God's already done that. God has made a way for you to be clean that you receive by repentance and faith. You turn from yourself and turn to God by believing in Jesus Christ. Entering in the holy presence of God, coming in the house, those are two different things. Two different things. We cannot clean up enough to enter into the presence of God. Sure, we can clean our hands before we eat or go inside the house, but inside the presence of a holy God, we can't touch that, y'all. That's something that God did for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. One pastor said it this way, God's pleasure in you is not based on your performance for him. God's pleasure in you is based on Christ's performance for you. He, he cleans up. Secondly, he comes in. Ezekiel chapter 36. This is the last point and we're going to shut it down. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart. God's going to do heart surgery. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Did y'all know that when you get saved, God puts his spirit in you so that you are not just forgiven of the penalty of sin, but you're freed up to overcome the power of it. That's what God is doing in you. He is giving you the power to overcome what he wants you to get over. This is what he's working on. This is the extent. See, sometimes we just want to side a car and be clean and, and bust heaven wide open. God wants to do more than that. God's new covenant would not just forgive. Once God, once God forgives you, you're still here. Once God, once God forgives you, you're still living. So yes, God cleanses us through the blood of Jesus, but he also recreates us. Regenerates us by the power and leading of his Holy Spirit. Listen to the renewal language in the scripture. I will give you a new heart. You must be born again. God doesn't want to save you and then send you back to live for the ways that he saved you from. God is going to free you up so that you live a life that would bring glory to him. Under the old covenant, the law was written on stone tablets. But once the spirit of God enters our lives, God's standard is now, now written on our hearts God's spirit is inside of me still ever since I was 11 years old God has been working daily because the presence of God through the Holy Spirit lives within me to draw me away from myself and to the righteousness of God and y'all I wake up and it happens every single day you know what that means can't just do whatever I want to do I don't belong to myself anymore I'm a child of God God's spirit's inside of me for the glory of his name he's going to work to make me into an image of righteousness so that others could see who he is. One author said this, The old heart said, My will be done. The new heart says, 
Thy will be done. When I was teaching, our, our, uh, our principal would come in every so often for an evaluation. And oftentimes, thankfully, he would tell me when that would be. And he'd say, I'll be there tomorrow, and, and I've got to do our annual evaluation. Sounds great. Do y'all know what? That's the best day our class had all year. <laughs> y'all are like, are you that bad of a teacher? Well, I don't know if I was good, but I will say this. That day when the authority was inside the room, all those kids acted different, and so did I. I was a better instructor that day because the accountability and the presence of the authority was with me inside the room. Our students were better. They were well-behaved because they, they knew that the authority was there with them. When you get saved, God comes in. And God's authority is inside of you, pulling you. Be aware of it at least, amen? Be aware of it. What's even better than God being with us? God's Spirit inside of us. The Scripture says as we close in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. This is the new covenant accomplished by the blood of Jesus Christ. Y'all hear me? Amen. Let me ask you a question as we close. Are you on the inside of the camp or the outside of the camp? That's the question. Are you on the inside of the camp or the outside of the camp? I know you're putting stuff up. I understand that. But think about this. Are you on the inside of the camp where you have been cleaned and God has come in and his presence is there? Or are you on the outside of the camp in need? If you find yourself on the outside of the camp in need, know this. Everybody in here, in here that would check the box Christian has been there too. We would have that party for you. If you realize that you're a sinner, recognize your need for God, turn from yourself, turn to God because you believe in Jesus. Man, we'll clap it up for you. That's the reaction you'll get. This is what God is trying to do. Trying to save you from yourself and give you heaven for the glory of his name. Let's stand to our feet.